Growing up in a large family, trying to get everybody to agree on something was difficult. And being the youngest, sometimes I trumped everyone, which was kind of nice. And sometimes I didn't trump anyone. So I want you to contemplate the question, how do you get your family to agree on one thing or to become united? I know one of the things that we do at family reunion, it's kind of a joke. And and one of my brothers, whenever I'm around him and his family, we do it all the time. It's the game nose goes. So if you can't get anybody to make the decision and everybody's arguing, then you finally say, okay, so-and-so, whoever is the last to touch their nose, they get to, they have to choose it or they have to pray or they have to do it. And then you say nose goes and you touch your nose really fast. So nose goes is one of the ways that we've reached a conclusion or a decision. Another way, traveling with my kids in the car, we're a road trip family, but I always just did not like to say, okay, well, where should we eat? And and I'd be like, well, I want to eat here. I want to eat there. I want to eat. And then trying to get everybody to agree that we all can afford McDonald's was sometimes difficult. So on a couple of trips, we purchased poker chips from a Harley Davidson store that were all different colors. And so throughout the rest of the trip, I would just say, Whoever can show me a poker chip gets to choose, and then what it was whatever about, gets to choose where we eat, or gets to choose where we're stopping next, or gets to choose the next treat, or gets to choose the next video that we're going to watch, or gets to choose whatever it was on the trip trying to get everybody to agree. If you could show me your poker chip before everybody else, then you got to get that choice. Right now, we are working on like meal trade-offs, and everybody gets an opportunity to cook and choose what it is that they're going to cook that night. But all of this stated... How really do we build unity? Think about it. How do you gain unity in inside of your family? Now, looking up the definition for unity, it was really long. It was one word. It was the word oneness, right? Like, wow, that's deep. Thank you. So I'm really grateful for a talk by Elder Christofferson that actually was in the last general conference. This talk really helps us to understand the concept of unity And the talk is entitled, One in Christ. Now, I'm going to draw a lot on his words as we discuss these first few chapters in 1 Corinthians. My first quote from that talk, which I absolutely love, states, quote, Becoming one is a recurring theme in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in God's dealing with his children, close quote. Becoming one is a recurring theme. Now, the reason I want us to start there is because Paul, in these letters to the people of Corinth, he starts giving advice to the saints, and he starts right off with the concept and idea that they need to kind of come together. Let me show you what I mean. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Now, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, did you catch that? Speak the same thing, no divisions among you, and be perfectly joined together. Same mind, same oneness. Now, one of the things I love about the church is that no matter where you attend, you know it's going to be, for the most part, the same. One of the great things about the Come, Follow Me, right, is that You know, on the first and third Sundays, whether you are in Spain or whether you're in Peru or whether you're in France or whether you're in Salt Lake City, Utah, the lesson is going to be on whatever it is supposed to be for that week. And you also know that on the off weeks in Young Men and Young Women's, 
that your lesson is also going to be on those same types of themes, right? That are coming from the scriptures. And for those of you that are of the older, the more seasoned youth, if you will, you know that your lessons are going to be coming from the most recent conference report. Like what is being taught is going to be the same wherever we are. Now, some of the reasons for this is actually found in another conference talk. But this conference talk is given to us by a really cool dude. His name's Alma. You might have heard of him. And in Mosiah chapter 18, Alma says the following in verse 21. Yea, even he commanded them that they should preach nothing save it were repentance and faith on the Lord who had redeemed his people. And he commanded them that there should be no contention one with another, but that they should look forward with one eye, having one faith and one baptism, having their hearts knit together in unity and in love one towards another. One faith, one baptism, hearts knit together. So as I've been reading about this and thinking about this whole idea of unity, I was reminded of an experience that I had, oh, I don't know, it's, by this point, it's got to be a couple of decades ago. One of my friends and I, we had decided to road trip to California. And by decided to road trip, what I mean by that is we were going probably on an average every couple of months. We would just jump in the car when work got done and Friday afternoon. We would drive out, pick a ho- random hotel somewhere, play on the beach for two days, we would go to church at some random ward, and then we would start driving home and we'd drive through the night so we'd be back to go to work on Monday. I'll never forget attending a particular Relief Society because, let's be honest, most of us when we're visiting in another ward, the very last thing that we want to do is we want to introduce ourselves. Like we all, for whatever reason, we hate it. We hate introducing ourselves. We don't want other people to notice that we are there inside of their ward. But the reality is, is being noticed is them trying to engage in unity, helping you be one, helping me be one with what's taking place there and giving us an opportunity when we're visiting to be a part of the the larger group. Well, on this particular Sunday, it was my turn to introduce us because we would trade off. So as the Relief Society president, she's like, I can see we've got a couple of visitors and she pointed to us and I'm sure we look like vagabonds because the reality is, is I believe that morning I'd actually gone out to the beach and we'd walked along it. We were windblown. I was in a windbreaker and a Levi skirt, like seriously not looking the most church-esque, if you will. And as they were asking us about ourselves, finally, the Relief Society president, she said, now, who is it that you're here visiting? And I responded without any hesitation, oh, we're here to visit the ocean, to which everybody started laughing. And one of the sisters in the ward said, wait, what? And I said, well, you have to realize that we're from Utah. We, we don't have any family members here. We are really here to visit the ocean. And then I began to explain, I served my mission along the Mediterranean Sea and I missed the ocean. I've got to get back to it every now and then. And so we're here to visit the ocean. That became a unifying statement inside of that particular Relief Society is at the end, Sisters came up and talked to us about their love for the ocean, and we had an opportunity to edify each other. So what should be really unifying you and I? I'm confident there are some of you listening that do not love the ocean or even water the way I do. In fact, 
have a really good friend who I know absolutely does not like the water and or the creatures that are inside of it. I have a couple of other friends who do not want to swim in any body of water where there are fish. So Paul says, okay, let me give you something to all rally around that should help to unify you. Let me show you what I mean. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. Pause. Paul teaches a really important principle here, that we've got to be able and ready to receive the information. See, he says, what? Well, I, I have fed you with milk, not with meat. Are you ready for the meat of the gospel? Or are you still on the milk? Do you get what I'm saying? Then he tells them why, though, they're stuck with milk and they're not ready for meat. Verse 3, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Now, if you remember, we talked about our need to smile a whole lot more. We need to be in a world that isn't. You and I need to be more spiritually minded. Why? Because spiritually minded is life eternal. And here is Paul calling him out again. Then he says, verse 4, For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom he believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted Apollo's water, but God gave the increase. In the end, it's God. It's God. It doesn't matter who teaches. In the end, the teachings are coming from God. Then he pushes this a step further in verses 7 and 8. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now catch this. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his laborers. You and I are going to receive according to our labors. And then he says this, for we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. That's just a fun word. Let's be honest. Master builder. Wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Take heed for how you build, because what foundation are we supposed to have? Our foundation should be Christ. Or in other words, what should be unifying us? Our love for the Savior is what should be unifying us. Elder Christopherson, same talk, puts it this way, quote, it is only in and through our individual loyalty to and love of Jesus Christ that we can hope to be one, one within, one at home, one in the church, eventually one in Zion, and above all, one with the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Close quote. It is only in and through our individual loyalty and love of Jesus Christ well, why? Because he just told you, well, the foundation is Christ. But why does the foundation need to be Christ? You already know this. 
in Helaman chapter 5, verse number 12, we find our friend Helaman. He's talking to his sons, Lehi and Nephi, and he says this to them. And now my sons, remember, remember. So there's our action. Remember, remember that it is upon the rock of our Redeemer, who is Christ, the Son of God, that you must build your foundation. Sounding a little bit like Paul, right? Paul says what? Foundation can no man lay than that it is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Okay, so now what? Well, you must build on that foundation that when the devil shall send forth his mighty whirlwinds. Whoa, it's not if. Every single one of us is going to go through something crazy. The question is, will we be built on Christ when the crazy starts to hit? The devil will send forth his mighty winds and his shafts in the world when, yea, when all his hail and his mighty storm shall beat upon you. How much of his, his storm? All of it. Shall beat upon you. It shall have no power over you to drag you down to the gulf of misery and then the woe because of the rock upon which you are built, which is a sure foundation, a foundation whereon if men build, they cannot fail. So will you? Will you build on Christ? Elder Christofferson in that same talk puts it this way, quote, I love one-liners, by the way, quote, only in Jesus Christ can we truly become one, close quote. Did you catch that? Only in Jesus Christ can we truly become one. Recently at the Delta Center here in Salt Lake City, they had a gathering of roughly 20,000 young adults for a concert. And the concert had a myriad of artists with the biggest headlining artist being One Republic. One of the attendees reported, quote, it was amazing. It was so crazy to be in such a big arena with so many church members and people who loved Christ, close quote. Can you imagine being at a concert and thinking to yourself, everybody that's here is here because they love Christ. And one of the largest concerts that I've ever been to, very candidly, was the Taylor Swift concert down in Vegas. And I can't say sitting there that I was there and surrounded by uh, 60,000 other people who loved Christ. In fact, by the way, some people were acting, I was pretty confident they might not have loved him a lot, or if they did love him, they forgot completely about him during the time that they were there together. As opposed to what? Well, here is a concert goer saying, everybody there loved Christ. So we're back to the question. You have the opportunity to be a part of the good. So will you? Will you build on Christ? Will you take the time to really focus in on him and allow him to be your foundation? If you're like me, you're probably thinking to yourself, okay, Candace, that sounds great, but for reals, let me give you an example. We'll pick on me because I'm spiritually challenged. We've already totally discussed this, right? So as a missionary, back up, before I was a missionary, I was really nervous about where I was going to get called. And to be very candid, I wanted to go to Germany. My grandmother was an Austrian immigrant, did not speak a lot of English. No one in my family of the six previous missionaries had served in that area. I just I wanted to go. And if not Germany, then send me to Eastern Europe. Like, that's why I wanted to go. So you can imagine my disappointment a little bit when I opened my call and I was called to Spain. Now, part of the reason I was so disappointed with that is, candidly, I had taken Spanish. I'd taken Spanish through high school, bombed out horribly. I had taken Spanish in college. 
The only reason I got through is because I found a couple of return missionaries to tutor me and to help me with everything. Other than that, the Spanish language, candidly, was horrible for me. So I get to the MTC and I'm supposed to learn to speak Spanish. I will 100% own it was not easy. In fact, for me, speaking Spanish was one of the hardest things I had to do as a missionary. And when you're in the MTC and immersed in the language like that, they get to a point where they tell you to SYL, which means to speak your language. Or in other words, if you are with anybody else that is wearing, for example, a Spanish name tag, then you are to only speak to them in Spanish. My workaround for that was I would find people who were wearing name tags going anywhere else in the world except for Spanish speaking, because then they could speak to me in English and I could speak to them in English. However, my district would call me out at meals all the time. It actually became kind of a game for them because I could not for the life of me remember the words for fork, knife, and spoon. Tenedor, cucharo, in cuchillo. Like, really, I couldn't remember that. So they loved to hold up and they'd say, Hermana Harrington, ¿cómo se dice este? And they'd be holding like a fork. Or they'd be holding like a, a knife. Or they'd point to their cup. Like it drove me crazy. During this time, my prayers were written on a three by five card or a sticky note. And I'd have to read them. And it sounded like this. Nuestro Padre Celestial. And then I would just list out what I was thankful for. And then I would say something like, Te pido que I ask you that. Te bendiga a, that you bless. And then I would just, again, just make a list. Me as a new missionary is a prime example of what Paul is trying to get you and I to do. See, he says in chapter 2, verse 5, Your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I was trying to rely on myself to learn that language. But my faith needed to rely more on God, not on my own wisdom, because clearly from my grades in Spanish in college, that was not going to be working for me. My wisdom was not grabbing the old Espanole. Sabes? It wasn't working. So Paul teaches us this about God. Listen to what he says. I love this. Chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, but not many mighty, not many noble, are chosen. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Did you catch that? God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Telling me that I needed to speak Spanish, that was foolishness. In fact, we used to joke in the mission, we'd say, foolish question, because it was just foolish trying to get Thomas to speak Spanish. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base these things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. God has chosen the foolish and the weak to do his work. So how do we do it? Well, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it's simple. Paul says this, chapter 4, verse 16. Wherefore, I beseech you, be followers of me. Or in other words, follow the prophet, follow the prophet, follow the prophet. Don't go astray. Follow the prophet, follow the prophet. 
Allah the Prophet, he knows the way. In what way do you need to better follow President Nelson? Last conference, he said the following, quote, If you are serious about helping to gather Israel and about building relationships that will last throughout the eternities, now is the time to lay aside bitterness. Now is the time to cease insisting that it is your way or no way. Now is the time to stop doing things that make others walk on eggshell for fear of upsetting you. Now is the time to bury your weapons of war. If your verbal arsenal is filled with insults and accusations, now is the time to put them away. Will you arise as a spiritually strong man or woman of Christ? Close quote. Did you note the things that he invited you and I to do in just that one paragraph of a larger talk? He told us that we needed to lay aside bitterness. Now, I don't know about you, but there are things that I'm pretty dang good at carrying a grudge and being bitter about. I'm not going to share them in this podcast. You don't need to know what my skeleton looks like in my closet. But there are some things that I'm just being bitter and I know it. And here is a prophet of God calling me out saying, hey, Candace, you need to knock that off. He also invited us to cease insisting it be your way or no way. That's never you, right? You and I, we don't ever get so set in what it is that we think that we want to have happen that we won't listen to anyone else's ideas. We won't entertain anything else that's around us because we know it. Yeah, we got the right answer. He called us out and asked us to stop causing others to walk on eggshells. I know you know a person that that's what you do around them. I know you know it, where you're just like really cautious because you're afraid that they might rip your face off. Some of you are the face ripper offers. My sweet youngest is learning how to manage her emotions. And all of us have to learn how to do that at times. And sometimes we have to be reminded about it. And in the process of managing her emotions, she can be like all of us. I, I know I am explosive. If I have not enough sleep, I'm here to tell you, I'll rip your face right off. So I haven't known in the last little while how to take things. And recently, I've been really cautious at how I approach her. And the other day we were driving in the car and we had a bunch of drinks. And as we were going, the car in front of us slammed on their brakes, which caused a chain reaction. I slammed on my brakes. She was not watching. And in the process, she had a drink between her legs and, and it caused her to, to flex her leg muscles, which popped the lid off her drink. And her drink became this really awesome pink waterfall right there onto the floor. Now, I'll be honest, I really wanted to laugh. But because of the eggshells, I was a little nervous. So I just looked at her and I said, are you okay? And I watched as she tried to handle all of those emotions and be one in Christ and one in the moment. As she said, well, I'm glad I don't have shoes on because they'd be really sticky. She hadn't grabbed shoes as we left the house. So she was barefoot and her feet were covered in soda. Then she responded, but mom, can you drive up and follow that car? If they're going where they're going, I want to knock on their window and dump the rest of my soda into their lap. I said, now we're not going to do that. However, that visual is really funny. Then she responded and said, this is funny, isn't it? To which I finally laughed and said, yes, this is actually really funny. Nothing is hurt here. Everything is okay. We can totally clean it up. And now we have a really great story. And now you have that really great story. So will you stop causing others to walk on eggshells? 
He also invites us to bury our weapons of war, which really our weapons of war are our words. We have words that we need to bury. Nobody needs to be called a mother trucker. Nobody needs to have the what the wah said at them, right? And then he says to put away those accusations because those usually come with weapon words. So that's what these chapters are talking to us about. Paul is asking you and I, anciently, and President Nelson is asking you and I, currently, to be followers of Christ, to allow Christ to unify us, to ask the age-old question, what would Jesus do, and then go out and actually do it? So will you go and do a couple of things? Will you go and study President Nelson's talk and choose one thing to do between now and October General Conference? That was a tough one. October General Conference to be more unified with him and subsequently the Savior? Elder Christofferson put it this way in the same talk, quote, we cannot be one unless we all bend our efforts to the common cause, close quote. Now, I love that Elder Christofferson said that all of us need to bend our efforts to the common cause because what that tells me is even Elder Christofferson has things that he's working on to be more unified in Christ. All is an inclusive word. So trust me, I'm trying to bend my will and I am bending with you, trying to be more like Christ. So will you? Will you identify one thing in President Nelson's talk to become more unified with the Savior and really work on it. Will you go and build your foundation on Christ? Again, Elder Christofferson says, quote, Unity does not require sameness, but it does require harmony, close quote. I'm grateful we don't all have to be the same. That being said, we do need to live in harmony one with another. So what area of your life needs to be more harmonic? with the teachings of the gospel of Christ. I'm confident there's at least one. So two simple things, studying President Nelson's talk and acting on it, and becoming more unified or harmonious with the teachings of Christ by building our foundation on him. I know as we do these things, we will receive the blessing that Helaman promised us, that when the devil shall send forth his mighty winds, yea, his shafts and the whirlwinds, yea, when all his hail and his mighty storm shall beat upon you, it shall have no power over you to drag you down to the gulf of misery and endless woe. Why? Because you're built on Christ. Let's go and be unified in Christ. Remember, it's not the same, but it's having harmony. I know we can do it. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Go and Do podcast. We would love it if you would leave us a review and click follow where you listen to your podcasts. We'd also appreciate hearing from you. Feel free to email us at thegoanddopodcast at gmail.com or connect with us on Instagram at goanddopodcast. The Go and Do podcast is created by me, Ken Shu, and produced by Cammie Fisher. We love having you follow along and look forward to hearing from you.